It takes me back a number of years ago to when uh, my oldest sister, Juanita, uh, first child, there was almost 17 years, I think, between the next child she was expecting and uh, baby was a little bit overdue, if I remember right. And uh, so she went in on a kind of Friday and was checked out. Everything seemed to be fine. And, and uh, the baby wasn't there by Monday. They would take the baby. Well, she went in on Monday. And if, after all of this, the baby was stillborn. Uh, my sister, been raised in the church, was a believer, really struggled, really struggled. And uh, I won't go into the whole story, but the end result was eventually Psalm 46, verse 10, this very thought, be still, just be still, Juanita. God said to her, be still and trust me. Just know that I'm God. It was interesting, about a year and a half later, that that was a little stillborn little girl. My brother-in-law's name was Don. My sister's Juanita, so they named that little stillborn baby, Danita. Uh, about a year and a half later, my nephew, Kevin, was born. Uh, my brother-in-law was a dairy farmer. And Kevin came into the world and was a dairy farmer. Interesting how God worked things out. But they'll see Danita again someday. I believe that. Uh, no doubt she's with the Lord. She's been there all this time. But that verse meant so much to my sister. It took a while for that to sink in. But in her stillness, she came to realize who God was, new and fresh in her life, and he got her through this and answered a major prayer in their life. Well, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to go with me to Acts chapter 1, if you would, please. Acts chapter 1. We're in a series called I Will Build My Church. While you're turning there, just a, a, a few thoughts of review. Um, Jesus, during his earthly ministry, announced that he was going to do something new. Uh, he said, I'm going to build my church. I will build, I guess, would indicate that this is something he hadn't done yet. And if you have been with us at all over the last couple of weeks, you realize that Jesus was the founder of his church. He was the cornerstone, the foundation of his church. Uh, the night prior to him going to the cross, uh, he spent some quality time with his disciples. He was in the upper room. We know it in John chapter 13 through 16 to be the upper room discourse, but it was just a few hours before he went to the cross. And he told his disciples upon leaving them, he said, I'm going to do something unique here. I'm, I'm going to send the comforter, the Holy Spirit. He's going to come. He's going to take my place because I'm going to be gone. The Holy Spirit, he's going to assist you. Uh, you have a task at hand. The command is to make disciples of the nations of the world, and the Holy Spirit, the Comforter who's coming, will assist you in that process. And Jesus went to the cross. He was there three days, and then he resurrected from the dead on the third day, and then for the next 40 days, he spent some, I would say, key moments with his disciples. They saw the resurrected Christ. And in Acts chapter 1, we're going to read this in just a moment, the Lord Jesus reminds his disciples of the command that he had given them. But he told them that they had to wait for a while. They weren't going to be ready to follow through on the task that he had given. 
they weren't ca capable of the supernatural work without the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, he said. And he said, the Holy Spirit will be coming soon. So in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 1, in my former book, Theophilus, I, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. This is Luke, the physician who wrote the Gospel of Luke. He's writing the book of Acts. And he's talking about what he wrote about before, that Jesus began to do and teach certain things. And then he said he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. And after his suffering, he showed himself to these men and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. He said, John, talking about John the Baptist, he said, baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, he said, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father set by his own authority. But, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Now they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives as Sabbath days walked from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Uh, that's what we were just talking about. Uh, that's where it comes from. The Lord Jesus had promised the disciples that when he left, and he did, he ascended to glory. We've just read that. He said, it's important that I go because when I go, someone will come in my place, that comforter. And he said, I want you to wait until he comes because he's a key to the task that I've given you. Um, if you know anything about the story here, go with me to Acts chapter 2. We'll see how this plays out for the next 10 days. See, Jesus has been interacting with his disciples for 40 days after he was resurrected from the dead. And then he ascends to glory, and then 10 days pass. That's that time when he said, I'll send the Holy Spirit soon. Soon meant the 10 days. 10 days arrive. It's 50 days now after the Passover. 
And uh, it's a feast called Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, verse 1 of chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. But suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, in other words, in our own languages. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, he raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. And he said, let me explain to you, listen carefully what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's nine in the morning. No, what was this? This was the coming of the Holy Spirit that Jesus had promised. We've just read the story. So let's take a few moments this morning and let's look at the relationship of the church to the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, the church begins. That which the Lord promised in his earthly ministry that he would build began 50 days after he was risen from the grave. Pentecost means 50. It refers to a feast. It's called the Feast of Weeks or Harvest. It was celebrated 50 days after the Passover. Uh, It was one of three annual feasts uh, that the nation of Israel was to celebrate and they were to do it in the city of Jerusalem. On this feast day, or feast week of Pentecost, it was the offering of the first fruits. Uh, Here in Princeton, in the rural area, in a farming community, you understand what it means to rejoice at the harvest in the first fruits, and that's what this was. It was the harvest of the first fruits. An offering was given. And on Pentecost, on this particular day, the Spirit of God came, and God sent the Holy Spirit as the first fruits of our inheritance, or the believer's inheritance. Those who were gathered there in Jerusalem that day were really, literally, as the Spirit of God came upon them, they were the first fruits of the full harvest of all believers to come, which includes you and me. We're part of that as well. They were the first fruits. We followed, in a sense, in their train. Just stick with me for a few moments here. Before the Lord ascended, he promised the disciples that they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
Remember he said John baptized with water? But you're going to be baptized by or with the Holy Spirit. We don't find the word baptism in Acts chapter 1 or 2. It doesn't appear in the account of Pentecost that we just read. But it's very clear from Scripture that the baptism of the Holy Spirit occurred for the first time on the day of Pentecost. That's when the church began. According to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, you know the verse. He said, we've all been baptized by the Spirit, okay, uh, into one body, Jews and Greeks, uh, free and slaves. We've been baptized into one body. What he's talking about is the baptism of the Spirit of God. Uh, we don't want to be confused as to what that is. That's when the Spirit of God takes someone like you and I, who by faith have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, when you and I declare what Peter declared to the Lord Jesus, that you are the Son of the living God. When we understand that, we are at that very moment placed into the body of which Jesus Christ is building, called the church. He's the head of that. But you and I are baptized, which means placed into that body. That's what happened that day. Uh, the Lord had promised to build his church. It began on the day of Pentecost. And since they were baptized into the body, and since the body of Christ is the church, the body began that day. I really believe that. I believe that's the history of the church coming to be. Several other things occurred, and we're not going to go into all that this morning, but the disciples in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, were filled with the Spirit. We read about that. Further on in that chapter, that very day, 3,000 folks were saved, baptized with water as a sign of the fact that they had put their faith and trust in the death, burial, and resurrected Christ. And the church began, the visible church began that very day. Uh, we're going to find in our study a number of other things that the Holy Spirit, when he came, what he does and what he did. He indwells us as believers. He gives gifts to the body. He empowers, he comforts, he leads, he illuminates, and so forth. Um, but for the next few moments, what we'd like to do as we think about the Lord building his church and the fact that it began in the day of Pentecost, um, let's take a moment and let's look at what I would call systematic theology. I've always been intrigued by that. Uh, I'm not this great intellectual or this great student, but I, I'm always intrigued by what they call systematic theology. So when we take the study of God and we kind of categorize it into the doctrine of of God, the doctrine of, of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of the church, the doctrine of future things. Um, William Evans has written a book entitled The Great Doctrines of the Bible. I've spent a lot of time in that book over the years. Um, he puts it this way in reference to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. He says, we're living in the age of the Spirit today. The Old Testament period, you'd call it the age of the Father. The period covered by the Gospels, it's called the age of the what, do you think? The age of the Son, Lord Jesus. From Pentecost until the Lord Jesus comes back, his second advent, it's called the age of the Holy Spirit. If that's the case, 
all matters that pertain to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, he mentions and puts it in this way, therefore should be of special interest to all of us who live in this age of special privilege, don't you think? But it does seem that there's a lack of interest and there's a lack of, I guess you'd say, insight on the part of you and I as the average believer as to the matters that pertain to the Holy Spirit of God. And I don't think that it's wise for us. I don't think we can afford to remain ignorant of the important doctrine, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. So for the next few weeks, as we build on this study of the Lord Jesus building his church, uh, what we're going to do is take a close look at the Holy Spirit. Jim Cimbala, or Cimbala, you've heard of him from the Brooklyn Tabernacle. A few years ago, he wrote a book in, in reference to renewal and revival. And the foreword in that book was written by Francis Chan. Francis Chan uh, is a pastor, he's a teacher, he's an evangelist. He was the founder of Cornerstone Church in Simi Valley, California. That was back in 1994. Uh, Francis Chan is known uh, as a man who has a, a real heart for God. Um, he looks at things a little differently, I suppose, than I would or possibly you would from time to time. Uh, certainly when it comes to the Eucharist or the Lord's table and uh, so forth, and I'm not going to go into that this morning, but he has a real heart for renewal and revival, and uh, he's known for saying what the Bible is really saying we ought to be living out in our lives. Basically, the thought is we need to listen what it says and need to trust it and then obey it, and then we'll see what God is capable of doing in the hearts and lives of those who are willing to do that. And in the foreword to the book by Jim Cimbala, he said, every Sunday, this is Francis Chan, every Sunday millions of people sit bored in our church services. He said, even the churches that spend a fortune on production, and his church was one of them, he said, we put on a great show, but eventually if we look around, we understand that even the great shows and the great productions, they eventually dissatisfy. And he said, I've given it some thought. He said, think about something. He said, is it actually possible to be bored of or bored with the Holy Spirit? Is that a possibility? I'm sure he's saying really no. So he began to get my attention in that forward. He said, if he was truly moving and at work in our midst, would we ever look at our watches? Would we ever be bored? He said, here's a question. Isn't boredom a sure sign of the Spirit's absence? Could it be time to ask Him, the Holy Spirit, to take over? He said, I would think it would be for those who refuse to put up with going through the motions any longer. And then he quoted John 6.63. Here's the verse. It is the spirit that gives life. The flesh is no help at all. It is the spirit that gives life. You and I living this spiritual life out of our flesh, if we're dependent upon ourselves, 
It's of no help at all, John 6, 63. He said it wouldn't harm us to stare at that verse for a while. He said, I wonder if we truly believe that. Does our life reflect it? He said, what about our prayer life? It's the spirit that gives life. The flesh is no help at all. You know, after thinking about that, the Holy Spirit is not only helpful, he's our only hope. He's our only hope. He's the one who gives life. And isn't it amazing, though, when we look around, when we look at our own hearts, we look at the lives of, of those that make up our church or churches, when people lack life, we often point to other solutions other than our hope, the Holy Spirit. When the church services lack life, we grasp at so many other methods to try to generate hope and help and excitement. So with that in mind, uh, I'm thinking it may be time, it may be past time, probably is, for what I would call some holy disruption in my life, possibly in yours and in our churches. I mean, when the Spirit of God works, as we see in the book of Acts, when he's at work, when you and I look at the accounts of the early New Testament church, it's amazing what God does. And yet many of us have gotten used to doing without the power, the presence of God's hope, his Spirit, working in our lives and in our midst. So here's a few questions to consider. Do you know any Christians who suffer from a spiritual life that is dry and mechanical? You know anybody like that? Spiritual life is, is just simply dry. It's not dead, but it's dry. It's mechanical. How many of us serve a Jesus whom we know about from the Bible? but who may not be a living reality in our everyday life experiences. Know anybody like that? I'll admit I've been there more times than I'd like to admit. I'd encourage you to do a little inventory. How many wonder why the Holy Spirit doesn't intervene in our lives, in our homes, in our churches, like he did when we read about it in the early New Testament church? Here's another question. Could it be that we're missing out on some wonderful blessings that God has planned for our lives and our churches? Possibly because we're not either properly acquainted with who the Holy Spirit is, his person. We're not aware of what he can do and what he has done and what he has promised to do, his work, if we'll truly depend upon him. I share all that because that's what we're going to be working on over the next few weeks in this thought of building the church. You see, the Holy Spirit is the activator. That's where the power came from on the day of Pentecost. Those people were baptized by the Spirit of God, filled by the Spirit of God, controlled by the Spirit of God. And in that early New Testament church, you sought the fruit of what God can do. Isn't God the same yesterday, today, and forever? Isn't he faithful 
today like he was back then. Um, I don't know about you, but in my life and in my ministry over the years, at times it's been the same old, same old. It's been the ho-hum. If we're not careful, folks, uh, that's what being a Christian means to us. It's the same old we walk through day after day in the same way. Some of our life, or some of our lives, it's become a, a mountain. There's a mountain that we can't seem to get over or cross. Uh, it's a mountain of discouragement and might be a mountain of frustration. In some cases, it's a mountain of defeat. We can't handle it. We can't really fight it anymore. It, it, it leads to heartache at times. The mountain is too big, too steep. It's too tough to climb. It seems like I'll never get over it. Um, Barry, if you're ready, I'd like to challenge us. Maybe it's time to talk to the mountain. Maybe we need to tell the mountain something. Would you, would you listen? As the Collingsworth family, one of my favorite groups, kind of ministers to our heart. It's entitled, Tell the Mountain. In the foothills of sorrow Looking up from the valley of fear You can see doubt off in the distance And you're about to lose heart right here But don't ever give in, don't ever give up God is with you and you'll overcome trials he's brought you through and when his power gave you strength for the journey the very hour you needed it too so don't be discouraged cause time after time God's never failed you
How big is your guy? I'm sorry? Bigger than any mountain. You're right. We need to talk to the mountains, don't we? Remind them how big our God is. Um, folks, you've been through a lot. I know that. Um, the mountain's not too big. It's not too high. How big is your God? Are you praying for God to show up and do something special? Uh, that's why we're going to walk through this series. I think God has something in mind for us and for you. I mean, we're going back home sooner than later, all right? We're going back to Michigan. We've got the same needs back there that anybody has anywhere. But God has not allowed you to go through what you've gone through. So you can't get over the mountain. But the key is, tell the mountain how big your God is and then act upon that. You see, the Holy Spirit is God's agent on earth. The Father's in glory, the Son is at his right hand, but this is the age of the Holy Spirit. He's part of the Godhead. We're going to talk about, it's, it's Communion Sunday next week, we're going to talk a little bit about the Godhead and where the Holy Spirit fits into this. But I'm afraid that the Holy Spirit, the third person in the Godhead, is probably the least understood, least preached about, and least discussed member of the Trinity today, and yet the Holy Spirit is God's agent down here. And if we don't allow him to work, if we don't understand what he can do, if we don't act upon what he promises, it's no wonder that our lives are dry and mechanical and fruitless from time to time, more than we'd like to admit. And folks, since I can't think of anything else that will change my prayer life or yours or our study of the Word of God or our worship experience in church, if I can't think of anything else that will do that, I want to encourage you to join me. I want you to join me, folks, in inviting the Holy Spirit to join us in a new and a powerful way. Amen? Amen. You ready to go there? Let's see what God will do with folks like you and I. He's done it before. He's doing it elsewhere. He can do it in my heart, in your heart, in our churches. Let's learn who he is. Who is the Holy Spirit? What happens when he moves within us? What happens in the church body when the Spirit of God is allowed to work? We're going to learn how we can surrender ourselves to him and to his leading. You know, there, there's only one thing more powerful than seeing the Holy Spirit work in someone else's life. You know what that is? That's seeing him work in mine or in yours. I mean, we're always seeing it in somebody else's. We're always talking about the D.L. Moody's of this world. This is our day. Let's see what God will do in our day. This is your day. This is my day. CCC's day. It's the only life we've got. I'm getting near midnight in mine. I don't know where you are in yours. I want to see him work, don't you? We've got to trust him, folks. We've got to step out by faith and let him take over. Invite the Holy Spirit to come and join us. Not like it's always been, but in a new and a powerful way. So I've got a challenge to you. If you want power and confidence and joy, if you want to experience a sense of the peace that the presence of the Holy Spirit brings, that God brings in our life, 
then let's ask the Holy Spirit to come and do something new in us and through us. Amen? Amen. We're moving on. We're going to move forward. Possibly we're going to be awed at the power of the Spirit of God and the wonder of the blessing and goodness that he brings our way. That's our prayer. That's our hope. That's what I'm asking God to do in my life, Barb in my life and in our family and in our home and in our church. Why not? Why not now? Why not you? Amen? Amen. Father, we're grateful to know you. Scott prayed this morning about the privilege that it is to be in your presence. Uh, That's what we're doing right now. The Spirit of God is praying in and through us and with us. And when we don't know how to pray, he takes over. That's what we want because he's your agent. You're building your church and we're a key part of that here in Princeton, Illinois. God, I pray that you'll have your way and it will allow you to have control because we long to see what can happen when a man or a woman like us are willing to let you have our lives and do with them what you so desire. May you be honored and glorified. May we be encouraged as we open up new and fresh to the Spirit of God. Lord, best we know how, we give you access to our minds, to our hearts, to our lives. Show yourself strong on our behalf. That's our prayer. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.